Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, uh, episode 25. And uh, this this episode's going to be, uh, it might be a little weird, because uh, I have somebody in the room with me, but he's he's not going to be on the show. Uh, he is my wife's assistant, uh, Ricky. Say hello, Ricky. Hello, Ricky. Ugh. That's why, he just said hello, Ricky, uh, which is why he will never be on the show. So, um... Uh, before we get into it, I wanted to let everyone know that there actually is a new uh, message board for the show. Um, you can find it. You can click on forum uh, on morethanonelesson.com, and that will take you uh, to where you need to go. Uh, or you can go to morethanonelesson.proboards.com, uh, and uh, basically, it's it it runs a lot smoother than the other uh, than the old message board. Uh, you do need to sign in. Uh, you do need to set up an account to be able to post on there. But uh, but it is it's much more organized and it's much easier to deal with uh, once you actually set up an account. So uh, I would encourage you to uh, head on over there and do that. Um, there's only a few people on there now, including myself. Uh, and uh, with the last message board, uh, when we first set it up, there were a lot of good conversations going on. So uh, I would really encourage you to uh, to go and do that and get connected with uh, me and uh, some guests that have been on the show and uh, other listeners. So, uh, yeah, uh, go and do that. Uh, so today we're going to talk about uh, a movie that I love called The Informant. Uh, it came out last year. It was directed by Steven Soderbergh, who uh, won Best Director uh, in 2000 for Traffic. Uh, since then, he's directed the Ocean's Eleven films, and uh, and before that, he actually was uh, something of a, a critical, uh, independent darling uh, for uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, uh, and The Limey, and uh, uh, Schizopolis, and, and a lot of other films. Um, and he's an interesting filmmaker because he he manages manages to get like uh, like mainstream budgets uh, and manages to secure mainstream actors like George Clooney and Brad Pitt and Matt Damon and all kinds of people. Uh, but what's fascinating is that uh, he is kind of an experimental filmmaker, not in not in like a Stan Brakhage kind of way. Uh, but you know, when he he made a film uh, a couple years ago called uh, The Good German, I guess that was a few, that was more than a couple. I guess that was about four years ago. Uh, and The Good German it had uh, it had George Clooney in it, and basically it was supposed to evoke uh, early uh, '30s and '40s film noir, uh, and which of course is black and white, kind of grainy, uh, very uh, sharp contrast between the the darks and the lights and and all that. Um, and so uh, when Soderbergh made the film, he he uh, chose to use the actual equipment of the time and and really really do everything he could to make a film as if he were making it in the forties. So uh, so he's he's. He's a very he's a filmmaker who is uh, has a very strange sensibility. Sometimes um, I happen to love him uh, most of the time. Uh, he has been accused of being um, kind of self indulgent, uh, and and I could see that. There's a film called uh, Full Frontal that Roger Ebert referred to as uh, masturbatory. So um, so he's he, he's a filmmaker that's not really for everyone, uh, but he. <laughs> I think he he almost kind of tricks people into seeing his uh, seeing movies that they wouldn't normally like by having big stars in them. Uh, and today is a good example. Um, the informant uh, is based on a true story about a guy named uh, Mark Whitaker. 
who worked for a uh, a big business that uh, put put out uh, and ba- that basically worked with corn uh, among other things, uh, and. It's a very strange. It's a very strange film. I I absolutely love it, um, and Matt Damon plays the title role of the informant uh, because basically this guy he's just an executive at this company, uh, and he discovers that the company uh, is is doing illegal things. They are they are price fixing, which is they are working with the competition uh, to determine what the prices will be, uh, and they and so there's no competition involved. Uh, and so rather, cause when you work with the competition, then everybody, you can raise prices instead of having to lower prices because you're competing with somebody, which is, uh, illegal. And so he, he discovers that his company is doing this. And so he works with, uh, he becomes an informant for the government. Um, but in the midst of all this, uh, spoilers, by the way, I'm going to say, uh, spoilers, uh, for the informant and, uh, what the companion film will be which is uh, Shattered Glass, which came out in 2003. Uh, Spoilers. So it turns out Mark Whitaker, he's an informant on his company, but he's also been embezzling money from his company. So he is a criminal himself, but not in the same way. Uh, And it's... This is a film that is is first and foremost about its character. Uh, We are... We're provided with uh, uh, a lot of narration, which is basically just... uh, uh, Mark's innermost thoughts just constantly running. And you discover that his mind... Uh, first off, the narration is great because as it is supposed to be somebody thinking, it does a really great job of approximating what that would sound like, which is, you know, most people's minds move, you know, a mile a minute and they will jump from one topic to another. It's very stream of consciousness. And, uh, and it does that with Mark as well, where as he's just walking along... Uh, the voice, uh, the his the voiceover will comment on the people around him, and then it will just suddenly jump to a story he once heard. Um, and it's just it really does a good job of approximating that this guy is incredibly smart, uh, but also that he's kind of neurotic and kind of obsessive. Um, it is revealed later that the character is uh, bipolar, um, and that plays into a lot of his attitude and a lot of his actions. Um, but first and foremost, let's talk about the, uh, the, the film itself, the technical, uh, aspects. Um, there's one, there's one thing that, uh, that Soderbergh does that people really didn't seem to care for, uh, which is, uh, the use of music. Uh, it's, it's an original score written by, uh, Marvin Hamlish who did, uh, The Sting, which, and his, his score is very evocative of that. It's kind of this ragtime, playful thing. Uh, the film is a comedy, even though uh, even though it is about this guy who is not altogether uh, clean himself, uh, trying to bring down this company, which seems dramatic. It seems like a very uh, insider type of thing, but it's actually a comedy. And so, having this playful ragtime score, it it kind of it it bothered some people that this takes place kind of in modern day. Uh, so why is this old-timey score in here? Uh, and people said that it distracted from the action. And, and I, my, my theory of, of film music is that um, 
you know, usually it is supposed to be a supplement to the action. It helps to heighten the mood that is already created. Uh, the music in the the informant, my view is that it is used. It's not meant to just be be in the background. It's not meant to heighten the tone. It's meant to inform the tone. You hear the music, and all of a sudden, you're supposed to see the the events on screen in a slightly different way. Um, and you realize, oh, I guess this isn't so serious because listen to the music. Rather than being a distraction, uh, it it kind of gives you the an idea of of how to view what you're seeing. Uh, and I so I love the score. I know there's a lot of people that really didn't, but I, I thought it was really great, and I thought it was kind of, you know, kind of gutsy for Soderbergh to use it because people will definitely notice it. It, it does not fade away. Um, uh, another option is uh, not option. Another aspect um, is the way the film is shot. It is kind of in these very strange, like very warm tones, as if it took place uh, in the like in the '60s. Um, by warm tones, I mean the way the characters dress, the way the film is lit, the way the set is painted. It just It's all very orange and yellow. Um, if you look at the poster, you'll actually see that it's very uh, it's bathed in warm orange light. Now, of course, uh, warm orange light could also translate out as uh, not pleasing to the eye. Um, and so... And frankly, I, I, I don't really know why he chose to do it that way. Um, except to, I guess there, you do take a certain degree of comfort in that whenever you see a movie that looks like that, chances are it is from, uh, an earlier time than the one in which we are living. Um, and so, uh, I think it's meant to make you feel comfortable. This is not an edgy film. It's not, it isn't the insider. It is, you know, you're supposed to be just kicking back and and relaxing as you, as you hear this, uh, you know, see this man's story. Um, and that's that's one of the fascinating things about the approach is the the story itself could have been interpreted as a thriller, which it is not. It's it's interpreted as a comedy. But then, as as time goes on, I did mention that that Mark Whitaker um, is is bipolar, and as that as it is slowly revealed that he's been embezzling and he keeps having to try and lie to the government uh, about his activities uh, and the net is kind of closing in on him uh, even though he it's, it's closing in on his company but it, eventually over the course of the film the the focus shifts from his company and the wrongdoing that they're involved in uh, to what he has done and it turns into a into a character study of a man under pressure and of course, we still, throughout it all, we still hear his thoughts, and we and they get more and more desperate, and all of a sudden, it's not a comedy anymore. It's actually quite dark. It's quite disturbing, and you see that this is a man with deep issues. Um, and so, that's, you know, that's that's part of the brilliance of Steven Soderbergh, is he just, you know, he, he tries to, first off, he approaches the material in a way that, no you know, I don't think anybody else would, but then, even within that, he changes the tone uh, about three quarters of the way through, uh, and so that you really never know what to expect, which is kind of the nature of Mark Whitaker. Um, you don't, you never know what to expect with him. He is lying almost all the time about something, um, and this can be best expressed uh, in uh, the, a visual element of Mark Whitaker. He starts out, you know, he's wearing a suit, he's got, it's, you know, Matt Damon put on some weight, 
uh, he has kind of this goofy hair. He's got these big glasses. He's got a mustache, and he's wearing a suit. Over the course of the film, he shaves his mustache, and by the end, you discover that uh, that the goofy hair was actually a toupee, and he's actually bald. And so over the course of the film, you actually see this guy who's had these things covering him to hide who he actually is, and those things get stripped away, and you actually see who he really is. And and so it's so we start to wonder, like, well, why did this man, why did he do this? Why did he embezzle all this money? Why was he constantly lying about it? Why did he inform on his company in the first place? He had to have known that in, in, in calling the government's attention to what his company was doing, that they were going to look into his own, uh, his own activities, and they would discover his embezzlement. Um, and so that's kind of where we, where I'll start talking about, uh, the, the companion film, which is, uh, Shattered Glass, uh, which came out in 2003. It was written and directed by Billy Ray, who went on to, uh, write and direct, uh, a wonderful movie, uh, called Breach. Um, I'm not sure which one I like more. I recommend them both. Um, and Breach, actually, I could have, that could have been the companion film as well, but it came out a little too recently for that. It might warrant its own episode. Um, but, excuse me, Shattered Glass is about a reporter at the New Republic in the late 90s named Stephen Glass. And Stephen Glass, uh, he was he was a, a great reporter. He wrote all these amazing stories. He would find, you know, these these interesting people or these strange events, and he would always just he would just manage to always be there. And he would get like the perfect quote, and he would get he would just. He just found these human interest stories that were just too good to pass up. Uh, and if you've read The New Republic, you know that it's, I mean, it's a predominantly, uh, it's a kind of a liberal publication that focuses very much on, on pretty hard news. And so for him to, to smuggle in a bunch of human interest stories, you know, that, that speaks to just how powerful um, his writing was uh, and how powerful his stories were. Um, and uh, and as the as the film progresses, you come to realize that uh, oh, you know what? There's a story. He writes a story about a about a hacker, and uh, and it turns out that the story there's some inaccuracies in it, and so they start to you know they start to delve deeper into that story, and they realize oh man, this story was you know there was a lot of things made up, and and as Stephen starts to realize oh shoot you know uh they're they're starting to catch on to me uh as that starts to happen he starts to just lie desperately and uh if you listen to the commentary you'll it's with uh the the director and then one of the uh, a guy named Chuck Lane who was the editor of the New Republic at the time both of these both of these films are based on true stories um and so uh Chuck Lane mentions that when he actually did confront Stephen Glass that Glass did something that was really quite, quite interesting and quite you know somewhat ingenious uh, when it comes to lying. Which is you when you realize you've been found out in one way, you fall back to what he describes as uh, the more defensible position, which is like okay, well I can't stick to this story anymore. But what I'll do is I'll concoct a different story, and I'll fall back to that. And so, you know, when when it became clear that. Uh, that Stephen Glass, that his story was not wholly accurate, then he, and he was standing by and saying, no, it's completely accurate, 
and then he fell back, and then it became clear that it wasn't. He fell back and said, you know what, I think I might have been duped by a bunch of hackers. Uh, and as it turns out, the story was completely invented. He, there, there was no truth in it. And, but to make it seem as if it was true, he, he faked uh, his notes, like in a notepad. He uh, set up websites. He set up a fake phone number. He made fake business cards for a guy. He did all kinds of things so that nobody would find him out. Uh, and then as time goes on, as they keep pressing him and keep pressing him, I mean, uh, it's the, the Stephen Glass is played by Hayden Christensen, who uh, you probably know from uh, the Star Wars prequels. He plays Anakin Skywalker in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Uh, and he's an actor that is kind of limited uh, in his range, but he works, he does very well at Stephen Glass. And quite frankly, I think it's it's brave to play a character like that because there's no hope for... Uh, for people, for the audience being on your side, once we, once we, the audience realize we've been lied to, then you just seem like a worm. You just seem like, like this Weasley guy, and we feel betrayed. And so, there are characters that you love to hate in films, and then there's characters that you just hate, and you just, you feel, you just despise them. And Stephen Glass is eventually revealed to be that. And so, as he's starting to come apart, as his story is being found out to be a lie, uh, Christensen really plays it very well as just more and more panicky. And he just can't, he just can't contain it anymore. Uh, and then it's finally revealed that the vast majority of, uh, of his stories were made up completely. Um, and, and you just can't believe it, you know, that, that, uh, a reputable organization could be fooled for so long, uh, by just one guy. And so, uh, so we get back to uh, the informant, and we compare Mark Whitaker with Stephen Glass. Both of these guys uh, are, you know, they both lie to, and they keep the lie going as long as they can. I mean, Mark Whitaker, he faked a letter from a psychiatrist um, to talk about how he was being personally uh, persecuted by one of the uh, one of the government agents, played by Scott Bakula, um, and. Scott Bakula soon realizes, oh, well, this letter is faked, by the way. Uh, you took stationery from a psychiatrist that isn't at this address anymore. And um, and you just see these two guys just coming apart at the seams, and you wonder, why did they do this? I mean, you know, when you work in, in journalism, you can only lie for so long. People will realize you know, the very nature of journalism is to look deeper. I mean, you can't be making large claims and expect them to just stand as fact. And, you know, like I said with the informant, you can't, you, you can't lie to the, you can't be one guy embezzling millions from your company and then lie to the government and expect them to believe you. You can probably keep it going for a while, but not that long. Um, unless, of course, you embezzle so much that you can actually bribe people. But he didn't, he didn't embezzle that much. Um, and so this gets back to, so really the, the thing that fascinated me about both of these films is the motivation. Why did these guys do this? And if you look at Mark Whitaker, the joy and the, the, the giddiness that he feels at the idea of being a government informant, you know, he views himself as being something of a spy, you know, when, when he discovers that, uh, he's allowed to take recording devices into meetings. Um, you just, he, he seems like a child. He's just so excited for this to to be taking place and that he gets to be a part of it. Um, 
and then it's it's similar to the giddiness that Stephen Glass shows when when people praise his stories and when people find him charming. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to wanting to be something that you're not or something that you think you're not. Uh, Stephen Glass, you know, when the time comes, like his writing style is very good. So if he had actually taken the time to find interesting stories, I'm sure his writing still would have been would have been praised. But uh, he was just constantly sure that his stories weren't going to be good enough. And so he wanted to be something that he felt he wasn't, which was a great journalist that is sought after and everybody wants everybody wants to read his stuff. And Mark Whitaker wanted to be a spy. He wanted to be interesting. You know, he's an executive at a company that processes corn. Um, That's not very interesting, uh, not to judge anybody that does that. But, you know, it's it's not usually the stuff that movies uh, are made about. Uh, unless, of course, they're doing something wrong, and then you can turn yourself into the hero. Um, and so it's it's interesting that these guys they so badly want to be this thing, and why? And and then, of course, that goes deeper. Why would you ever want to be something that you don't think you are? And I think the answer to that is, if you think that what you are isn't what people want then you're going to try to be something else and you will try as hard as you can. And then when it is eventually discovered that you're not that, you are humiliated and you are disgraced um, because nobody likes to be lied to. Um, and this, this comes back to you know, certain, certain Christian ideas of, of literally just wanting, wanting approval from others and basically putting all your eggs in that basket, you know. Uh, and I'm no stranger to this. I mean, I, you know, it's one of the reasons that I got into theater when I was younger uh, is because you, I so desperately wanted applause from people. Um, and uh, I remember I was I was doing theater at my church in Chicago and there was a, a sign on the on the door of our rehearsal space. And this is this might be kind of cheesy for people, but it, it, it had a certain degree of resonance with me. Uh, the sign said, uh, remember that we uh, we perform for an audience of one, and it's basically the idea that uh, that yes, it's important to please people. It's important to, you know, it, everyone wants to be approved of by their fellow man, but ultimately, the most important person or being uh, is God, and His approval is the only thing you should be striving for. But here's what's fascinating. Here's what's encouraging, and it really takes a lot of the pressure off. Is that uh, uh, God's love and God's approval, it's nothing that you can earn, which might actually sound kind of depressing, where it's just like, ah, oh, I can work and work and he still won't approve of me. Uh, yes, but the flip side of that is that his love is nothing that you can lose. Um, it's not about what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. Uh, he will love you either way. And that is... You know, very encouraging to me because if you are like me or you're like Mark Whitaker or Stephen Glass and you just so badly and you put up this front of what you want people to think you are, um, you know, you you will live in, in constant fear of people discovering who you really are and you will work and work to make sure that doesn't happen um, and it will drive you absolutely insane. Uh, but as I mentioned on an earlier episode, God already knows who you are and he loves you. You know, he, you can't lose that. Um, 
you don't have to worry about earning it because you already have it. Um, and you don't have to worry about losing it because he says you can't. Um, and so I'll, I'll quote a, a verse from Romans, uh, Romans 8, uh, uh, verses 38 and 39. Uh, here we go. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, I like this verse because it just keeps piling on all the things that won't work. Death or uh, neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, uh, neither height nor depth nor any powers, nothing that is that has been created can separate us from that. Um, and I like that because it just keeps it keeps layering on all these things uh, as a way of saying, look, you you will probably think that you can lose God's love or that you can never gain God's love. But you have it, and it's not going anywhere. And that, hopefully, is an encouragement to you, as it has been to me. Um, you know, in, in these films, we see portraits of people who desperately want the approval of others. They want people to think that they are good. They want them to think that they're the hero, that they're the, the brilliant journalist. Um, and they're willing to go to any length for that because you can lose the approval and the love of fe- of your fellow man and they would they don't want that certainly and they're willing to lie and lie and lie and just spin these webs um so that they don't lose the approval of other people and that can be absolutely exhausting uh, as we see in these films but you know you can take comfort in the fact that you can't lose God's love no matter what you do and that is really great to me. Um, I highly recommend you see these films. They're really great. They're really wonderful. Uh, amazing acting by everybody involved. Really well written. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, I-, I highly recommend them. Uh, what what I will say is be ready with the informant. It's as I said before. It's just it is not what you will be expecting. Uh, even if you even if if you're like seventy five percent of the way through and you're like okay, well now I know what to expect because I've been watching the film. Nope. That's not how Spiel, uh, uh, Soderbergh works. Uh, he will throw you a curveball, and uh, all of a sudden you're, you feel like you're watching a different film. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope it was a, a comfort to you. Uh, there will not be such a long gap between this and the next episode because I've actually been working on both of them simultaneously, uh, and the next one will probably be up within a week. So, um so thanks, everybody, for listening. You can email me, uh, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can find uh, blogs and links and the new fo- uh, link to the new forum. You can find them all on morethanonelesson.com. Uh, what I will say as far as the blog goes is that there are, as I mentioned before, there are two blog series. One is going a little slower than the other. Uh, Sean Richardson is writing about the book of Luke, and um, Nathan... Uh, Potter is writing about the book of Job. And so they're, they're both writing about these and, and they're saying very interesting things that I think, uh, I think we can all get a lot out of. Uh, and then of course, Josh Long, friend of the show, uh, is, uh, continuing his series in which he's writing about all the best pictures. So, uh, and then that one is not necessarily frequent, but it does, uh, come fairly regularly. So, uh, so go and read those, um, take part in the forum and, uh, join the conversation 
And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and I'll get you next time. Bye.